0: Well, this week it's Unlucky For Some, episode 13 of the third series of the Haiku-P podcast. And I've got lots to tell you. But before I forget, I'll start with an introduction. My name is Patricia, and I'm the host of the podcast. But this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the lovely Craig Kittner, all the way from North Carolina, who's going to give us a reading of some of his work, and a brief commentary. Last time I was talking about brevity, and today I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Look at the editing exercise that I suggested last time, and read the Renku. It's our third Renku, and I'm happy to say that today I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. And I have a bit of exciting, if slightly scary news, to tell you at the end. First off, I'd like to talk a little bit about PTV moments. They're still going strong, but as you know, only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. A little while ago, Christina Chin sent me a coffee morning moment of haiku. I often get feedback on these moments, but not always in haiku form. This time, in response to Christina's video, Bhaktia Amini sent me this. Nagging wife. Adding more sugar in the morning coffee. I thought that was really good. Thank you, Baktiar. It's always really great to get feedback, so keep it coming. Now, back to brevity. There was something I forgot to talk about last time, and I'm very grateful to Gene Myers for reminding me about it. He sent me a quick message on Twitter reminding me that many people believe you should be able to say a haiku in one breath. And when he told me that, I started thinking about it and wondering if I actually agree with that statement. Surely, I thought, there must be haiku which would take more than one breath to say. And if those haiku resonated with me, would I discount them just because they took longer than one breath? So I started looking for haiku that ran on into two. Do you know, it was much harder than I thought. This one, by Basho, translated by R. H. Blythe. The temple bell dies away. The scent of flowers in the evening is still tolling the bell. But as this is a translation probably done between 1936 and 1964, should I really be taking that into account? It's probable. If I found a contemporary translation, it would be much shorter. So in that vein, I moved closer to the contemporary timeline and found this by Gary Schneider. Which is pretty close to two breaths, at least for me. Range after range of mountains, year after year after year, I am still in love. And this by Robert Major, who started writing his haiku in 1990, which was just about borderline for me. Silent friends meeting, the sound of chairs being moved to enlarge the circle. Getting even more contemporary, I was really, really pushed to find long, brief poems. But I found one by Rebecca Lilly. Collecting deadwood still too green to burn, turning my thoughts into words. I have to take quite a big breath after reading that one. So anyway, was I wrong to question the one-breath theory? I'm on the fence What did occur to me was that editors consciously or unconsciously have adopted this as one of the methods of judging the merit of a haiku. But now I'm wondering, should we be challenging that idea? What do you think? Am I just going round in circles? So Mark Gilbert sent me an email reminding me that 17 syllables is already too long for many editors. He says of his own work, that if he has a haiku of around 17 syllables or more, he'll start re-evaluating, possibly editing it to make it shorter, but also considering whether it's actually fighting to become a tanker. Now, I don't write tankers, so that wouldn't occur to me, but I know what he's saying. He also made a couple of other interesting points. Well, he made more than that, but I want to concentrate on a couple more points. The first was about Michael Dillon Welch's idea that a haiku should be as short as necessary. It reminded him of writing short stories where there's pressure to strip out anything that doesn't move the plot along, as well as adverbs, adjectives, too much description, extraneous scenes and characters, and so on. Mark's worry was, if I understood him correctly, that if we cut too much from our haiku, do we then lose our voice? And I'm thinking, that when we're editing, we should be conscious of retaining our voice. But it's interesting. I'm going to think a bit more about that. And if you have any thoughts, send them over. Mark also thought that it would be interesting to think about how long can a haiku be, and still be a haiku. So I'm also going to put that on my list of things to explore. But it's going to be quite a complex idea for my poor old brain. So again, if you have any thoughts, whiz them over. Before I go any further, I wanted to share a verse that I read on Twitter by S. Zeilenger, a regular contributor to the podcast, and I asked him if I could read it to you because I thought it was a rather good example of the use of brevity. Between Stones, A Dandelion, Asterisk. And of course I can't leave the topic of brevity without mentioning possibly the most famous brief haiku of all, by Cor van der Heuvel. Now, this haiku has bugged me for a long time. Sometimes I love it, and sometimes I wonder if it's a case of the emperor's new clothes. I've come to the conclusion that it only works with a visual clue. What do you think? Am I being a bit harsh? Now, last month I suggested we would think about editing in this episode, and I threw out three pieces of work that I'd started to write, but really didn't think were finished. Thank you to everyone who sent their edits to me. It was a really interesting exercise, at least for me, not only to read the various versions you came up with, but I found that it inspired me to have another go at them. I can't use all the edits you sent me, but I'd like to use some to show what we can do when we work together. But before I start, I have to say, I felt a bit guilty offering three of my pieces, like I was asking you to do the work for me. But I couldn't use anyone else's work. It's a bit delicate, isn't it? So, I kicked off with this one. The smell of a dog that doesn't walk beside him. Homeless. And Linda L. Ludwig came up with this. No smell of a dog walks beside him. Homeless and alone. In both these verses, you have the idea of homelessness. But at least to me, Linda's verse suggests that there was a dog. But it's a bit ambiguous. Is it there, but very clean? Or, it's not there, but the spirit of his dog still walks beside him. Whereas in mine, I'm hoping that the dog isn't there, but the smell is. After reading Linda's, I tried again. No dog walks beside him, but the smell. I'm not sure about it. It sounds rather harsh and judgmental to me now. But then it raised another question. Do we sanitise reality, or do we just tell it as it is? So, Dorothy Burrows also had a go and shortened the verse, and has managed to take the harshness out of it. Don't you think? Smelly dog not beside him. Homeless. And then Maniko Takahashi sent me The smell of a dog walking separately from him, both homeless. And I'm thinking, perhaps change separately to apart so it becomes the smell of a dog walking apart from him, both homeless. And it brought this to mind He and the dog walk apart, both homeless. And then this from Mark Gilbert. Simple, but effective, don't you think? Homeless. Beside him, the smell of a dog. Now the next one I offered up was Chilly Wind. Cows returning to the valley floor in fancy dress. It was inspired by the ceremony in September when the cows are brought down from the mountain pastures to spend their winter in the lowlands. The farmers here go all out for the ceremony, and the cows look beautiful in their elaborate headdresses if i can figure out how i'll put a picture in the show notes so you can get an idea of what i'm talking about so dorothy burrows had another go at this one and shortened it to shrill wind cows return in fancy dress she changed chill for shrill because she felt she was losing something by taking out the valley reference and wanted to add the idea of an echoey Slightly excited sound as the people and cows head down towards the valley floor. I get that, don't you? And then lastly, I gave you this one The patch of sunlight warms a single garden chair. Hush, our cat is snoozing. Which I thought was just far too long and involved. But Dorothy shortened it beautifully. Sun patch warms a garden chair. Catnap. As did Mark Gilbert. Snoozing sunlight. Our cat warms its patch. But then he went even further. Snoozing sunlight. Hush. The cat's gone, but as I read this lounging in the afternoon heat in the garden, it made perfect sense. Thanks, everyone. But before we go on to the Renku, let me read you something that made me very happy. Peter Draper sent me this verse. I thought it had potential. Taking the offered seat, I recall my mother's words, always stand for old people. But I wondered if it were too wordy, so I asked him to look at it again, and he came back with this. Now I take the seat my mother told me, to give up I love this new version not only because I think it's a better verse in its new compact state but also because he worked with another member of the community to get it right Roger Watson and I love it when I hear poets I know working together but I can't take any credit in this case because they're actually old friends This verse resonated with me You're all probably far too young, but I remember the first time this happened to me. I was travelling on the London Underground. For those of you unfamiliar with the tube, as the locals call it, there's an unwritten rule that you don't talk to strangers, you don't even make eye contact. So imagine my surprise when a young man about the age of my youngest son offered me his seat. At first, I was momentarily furious that he thought I was old enough to need his seat. But then I realised. He probably thought I had one foot in the grave. I took his seat, and I wanted to tell him how proud his mum would be of him. But I didn't, and I regret that now. So let's head off to the Renku. Our third one is finished, and has a title. It's called Hiding in Plain Sight. My thanks to everyone involved. If you head off to the show notes, you'll see who wrote each of the verses, but the poets involved were Paddy White, Wendy C. Bialek, James Young, Robert Horobin, Pat Gia, Giddy Nielsen-Sweep, Jonathan Roman, Nicky Gutierrez, Hemapriya Chalapan, Ian Speed, David J. Kelly, Craig Kittner, M. Shane Pruitt, Dorothy Burroughs, and me. So here it is. Beggar Palms Up Facing the Sun A passing dog smells the soles of his shoes. Immigrants' dreams in cement standing. Rain clouds gathering, no bed at the hostel. Stone epitaphs, my tomb is bigger than yours, all are dead. Gargoyles grin as they piss on the fallen. Seeing his breath, only the living can feel the cold. A ray of light. Rage thaws the frost. Moonlight calm sets daylight frenzy. Dawn chorus. Butcher bird sings the morning in. I'm no longer alone. Slow day. The peach tree blooms in his cup. The rhythm of coins determines his future. The stars unseen this city night. This windy darkness, a plastic bag floats even higher. The moon can't reverse a rising tide. Just before sunrise, he catches only one fish. Pennywort, richer for a journey on the river's bank. Drawn by the smoke, Cops douse his cook fire. Overabundant castaways in the mud under bridges, swept under tattered rugs the problem hides in plain sight, through mist heads together a gleam, the deafening sound of silent protest. Thank you very much to everyone for taking part. Now I promised you a reading from one of the community. This time, Craig Kitner. You can read his bio in the Poets' Directory. But many of you will know him as he is a prolific and accomplished poet who's been one of our community judges for the Poetry P. Journal of Haiku and Senryu. And he often edits the Haiku Dialogue on the Haiku Foundation. Indeed, he's the editor at the moment. Take a minute to go over and see what he's up to and take part. The link will be in the show notes. So over to Craig. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Patricia. This is a special treat for me. Poetry P has always been a wonderful source of inspiration and ideas, so I'm pleased to share my haiku with you, along with some thoughts that are banging around inside my head. A little while ago, you took up the question of brevity. That's something I struggled with when I started on the haiku path. The answer I found for myself was that a haiku should have just enough content to capture a moment authentically. This first haiku was an early success along those lines. Almost Lost, In the Wind, A Catbird's Call, published in The Cicada's Cry, Winter 2018. Now let's face it, most of the time our minds are a chaotic swirl of impulses. But occasionally, something in the world cuts through all that noise. That's when haiku moments occur. Empty nail holes. On the wall that needs painting. Autumn sunlight. Published in Cattails, April 2019. A really good haiku moment may be overflowing with imagery and associations. Winnowing that down to an elegant focus requires that you trust yourself and your readers. After my wife and I rode out Hurricane Florence in our home in Wilmington, North Carolina, I experienced a moment that resulted in this. What's left of the fence? The wren's throat trembles with its song, published in Bottle Rockets, number 40. Is there any way for the reader to know that this moment arose from living through a hurricane? No, but that doesn't worry me. What comes through is a sense of nature's renewal amid the collapse of a human construction. Hope in the face of destruction, which is universal, regardless of what inspires it. I find that paying close attention to the weather often generates a haiku moment. Weather is a part of nature that we cannot ignore or control. If you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm away from shelter, you know what I mean. It reminds us to be humble. Finding a Dozen Paths, Down the Mountain, Yesterday's Rain. Published in Frog Pond, Winter, 2019. The human mind seeks patterns. More than that, it expects them, and will piece one together out of almost any stimulus. Like all minimal forms of art, haiku capitalizes on this instinctual behavior. The reader's mind takes in the words of the haiku and assumes there must be meaning behind the words. The skilled haikuist hints at connections while leaving room for imaginative interpretations. Raindrops becoming the sound of rain. Published in Bottle Rockets, number 41. What's the difference between hearing raindrops and hearing rain? This is the kind of thing that ignites my imagination and inspires me to observe and write. And I believe if I'm engaged and excited about what I'm writing, my readers will be too. Crossing the Parking Lot The Summer Wind Carries A Single Brown Leaf Published in Under the Basho November 2018 As urbanized as many of us have become, there is still the changing seasons, the fall of rain, the flight of birds. Nature is with us, for we are of nature, and always will be watering what I planted and what's sprung up. Published in Bones, issue 16. Like anyone who would partake in nature's bounty, the haikuist must have an eye on renewal. What can you do to seed the next cycle of haiku moments? Rain tapering off, a roadside field gives the sky back its light. Published in North Carolina Poetry Society's Pine Song Awards anthology, 2019. A big part of writing haiku is not writing. It's being out in the world and experiencing its changing rhythms. It's paying close attention to the minutiae of life. Green highway sign. Vines covering the miles to the next town. Published in Acorn, Autumn, 2019. Thank you all for listening. May you have long days of sparkling moments.
0: Thank you, Craig. I really enjoyed listening to your work. It's always great to hear poetry being read by the person who created it. And I hope you're enjoying these readings too. I think they add a new dimension to the podcast. If you'd like to read Craig's haiku and the commentary, you'll find them in the show notes. Now, I have another wonderful reading lined up for next month, but then the diary's open. So if anyone would like to read their work for me, just drop me an email, and we'll work it out. So lastly for this week, just my slightly terrifying yet wonderful news to tell you. On July the 11th, the Haiku Society of America is having a Zoom conference, and I'm one of the speakers. Although I am terrified, I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope I'll meet some of you, albeit virtually, at the event. If you come to my little presentation, I'll be taking you for a virtual walk through the secret valley of the elves in Switzerland, with lots of poetry and some prose, and I hope some interaction and workshopping of haiku. Will I see you there? I hope so. If not, I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks for our podcast on the topic of voyages. Until then, keep writing. Please have a look at the show notes, which should fully document today's podcast. But if there's something missing, just drop me an email and I'll sort it out for you. Ciao.